Amen. Well, good morning, Cross Point Community Church. I have uh, our children's <laughs> leader back there calling all the students out. Uh, thank you so much for that, that cue, because I would have forgot. And there they go. Out they go. There goes one-third of our church. They just left right there, all, all of them. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to uh, say a couple things this morning. Uh, I have pretty heavy notes for you in, in the bulletin. Uh, so if you haven't gotten the bulletin, you may want to somewhere along the line slide to the back and try to get the insert. Um, I call this what Abner Chow calls a lerman. It's a learning sermon uh, this morning. And it's been something that's heavy on my heart, uh, something that I see a lot of. And I thought it would be good for the body of Christ to be able to, to be armed and equipped with this information from God's word this morning. I want you to think of a friend, a good friend of mine that I had, a sincere friend, named Dirk. Now, Dirk is a made-up name, just so you know. We have to make up names. Um, When I first started counseling people in my local church, we were like 120 strong, and people would see who would go into my office, so I had to be very careful on on using people in the pulpit. But uh, I'm 10 years away from that now, and I've counseled a lot of people since then, but Dirk was a good, good friend of mine. Dirk, he grew up in a, in a church home, and he, uh, like any good church home, right, they were part of the Epic Club, the Vacation Bible Study, they were part of Awana, and Dirk gave his life to Christ when he was 15 at a youth camp. He began to grow in the Lord, he was baptized in the Lord, and he, uh, he was a faithful attender to church. Dirk grew in his love for apologetics, which, which means that he wanted to be able to defend the Bible. And so he find, found himself eating up everything he could from Van Til to uh, whatever Matthias Media had by way of the two ways to live. And he was passionate about street evangelism. And Dirk, he was out faithfully two, three times a week sharing the gospel with those in the streets, specifically in West Sacramento where we were part of a church plant. Dirk was an answer to prayer for me because I was a fairly new Christian and I came to Christ at the age of 22 and the people that led me to Christ uh, were those that went out on the street and they shared the gospel. I did not think that was abnormal. I thought that was normal because oftentimes the person that leads you to Christ is the person that you follow as they imitate Christ. So we were out at, at places, and we were sharing the gospel at the Arden Fair Mall. We were uh, going to the big occasions, the hell holes, I call them, of um, the, the Cal Expos, little Oktoberfest that they had. And we would go out, and we'd share the gospel. And as I was doing this for over a season, I just became frustrated. I became frustrated with one it seems like a lot of the times when you talk to people, they just wanted to argue with you about something. And I just wanted to give them Jesus, frankly, and I wanted them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, that Jesus died for my sins, according to the scriptures, and that he rose from the dead and that I believed in him and that if you believe the gospel, you can come go to Jesus too, go to heaven. Well, time went by and we became part of this church plant in West Sacramento. And uh, the frustration came for me as... I, I saw a lot of people that were uh, saying they're a Christian and saying that they would come to our new church that we were starting, but they, they would never come. 
In fact, we knocked on over 15,000 doors. You know that? We were part of them. <laughs> we were out on the same day that the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses were out, and we were like, hey, they were like, hey, we're not that crazy evangelical church. We're Jehovah Witnesses. And we're like, hey, we're not Jehovah Witnesses. We're the crazy evangelical church. We knocked on every door in that city, and we mapped it out, and we were prayerful. And you know what? There was one person that came to know Jesus Christ, and there was one person that actually said he would come to church. Isn't that amazing? My, my friend, Dr. Nicholas Ellen, uh, says that when you're sharing the gospel, one out of four times is going to land. And the reason he says that is because the parable of the sower, right? One landed, three didn't. So that was the reality. Now I know that you would get, we, we, our job is just to, to sow the seed. God, we water it. God's the one that makes it grow. I know that. But Dirk, the reason why he was an answer to prayer for me is because he was on fire for the Lord, number one. But number two, that he was carrying with him an evangelistic tool that he was training others to use. It was called the two ways to live. And the two ways to live is simply a narrative of the big picture of the gospel that has six points on it, six pegs. And I remember it as CRC, CRC, C being creation. God created the world and everything in it, and he's worthy of praise. Him alone is worthy of praise. The R is rebellion. We've rebelled against this God, and there's no one worthy, there's no one righteous, there's no one like Jesus that can stand before him, and that we are all facing, see, condemnation. There will come a day that we will stand before God in heaven, or at the judgment, rather, and we'll have to give an account for the things that we've done. There's two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment. That's where believer, unbelievers will be in front of that throne and if you're in front of that throne there is no absolutely no hope for you whatsoever there's another judgment it's the judgment seat of Christ that's 1 Corinthians 3 those are for believers where God the son will hold us accountable for what we've done for the gifts that he's given us in the body on earth that moves into if there's condemnation that we're facing what's the good news well the other C is the cross the cross Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the gospel that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of God and then we know that part of that gospel is the R here's the other R resurrection that Jesus rose from the dead he's alive he's seated at the right hand he has all power and authority from the Father to grant eternal life and that leads to the last scene, and that's a choice. That's a choice that we have. He doesn't slam that into your face. You have to make a decision on what you're going to do with that. Some of you guys are here this morning, and you need to make that decision this morning, today. And let me clear it up for you. The reason why you're here today is so that you would come to know Jesus Christ. I want to be very clear about that. And if you want to know more about that, talk to me after the service, because I would love to talk to you. Dirk brought this tool. And what he began to show me is that the gospel was not just for unbelievers, that the gospel was actually for believers as well. And so the ministry came, went from trying to figure out who's who, knocking on doors, not going from the, the X person is what I call them, you know nothing about them, and now you're, you're going from zero to one million sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's also the people, that are, the people that are within our homes, our kids, maybe it's, it's family, it's friends, it's people you work with, people you know, who by way of profession say that I am a Christian, but then you realize that there, there's, there's something going on in their own heart. You just don't know. You just don't know because you cannot see the heart. Only God can see the heart. So all you have is their profession. 
Just what do they believe? And we try to measure that profession based off of the word of God. What does the word of God say about the gospel? One of the hardest things for me, and I I know that there's other people that can relate to this, is my good friend, Dirk, the one that I saw, I witnessed him lead many, many people to Jesus Christ. One day he just decided to stop following him. He, he, just, and he, he made it known to the church. He says, I, I'm, I'm just, at this point in my life, I, I just, I, I thought I was a believer, but I'm not a believer. I'm like, what? Dude, I've seen hundreds of people come to Christ through you. God used you as that vessel and trying to give him assurance and everything else, but he was very hard-nosed and I've made a decision. And shortly after that, Dirk uh, was divorced from his wife. And shortly after that, Dirk was involved with, enslaved in internet pornography. And now he's reaching out to various websites where he's actually contacting people. Dirk became heavily involved in drinking and alcohol. And I didn't really know what to do with him. And Hebrews doesn't help me out because it's like Hebrews has got some strong warning passages in there. Anybody who's ever taught or preached the Bible knows that Hebrews is like hard to interpret. So I was trying to figure out in my mind what was going on. And then I thought this week, if Dirk called me out of the blue, and now about 20 years, well, 15 years later, I followed the course of where I felt like God was calling me. I've been through seminary. I got my doctor's degree in biblical counseling. And I've always prayed and wondered about Dirk. If Dirk were to show up and I were to get to talk to him, where would I start? Where would I start with him? I've thought a lot about this. And I've gone from the in-your-face guy <laughs> to really I just need to know, love, speak, and do. I need, to get, I need to enter his world, if Dirk were to come to me, I need to enter his world and try to understand what's been going on. And I wouldn't focus in on the fruit, the bad fruit of pornography, alcohol, divorce, pursuing these things, because I know now that those are just directly related to that lack of love that was in his heart. So I'd have to go back to the time when he decided to walk away from the Lord and what was going on in his life during that time. There's different ways I can approach him. I can just flat out say, hey, you're not a Christian, dude. You need to, you need to come to Christ once and for all. I guess on some levels that might be appropriate. Some levels, some people are doing that. They just immediately assume if somebody's having a hard life, a hard season of life, that they're not a Christian, and so they tell them, here's the solution. This is what you need to do. Write it down. You need to know Jesus Christ. I'm not quite sure that would work with Dirk. Because I think Dirk knew of Christ very well. I know what I know today because of Dirk. There's another approach. You can just say, hey, he's just a carnal Christian. And, and our dispensational brothers have had that argument, right? And they've written tons of books about that, but I don't agree with that. I don't believe there's such thing as a carnal Christian. I think he could be acting like somebody who uh, is definitely not a Christian. The approach that I would take with him is what I want to show you this morning. Is what I want to show you this morning. And I have the notes here because, one, I want you, at the end of this sermon... I want you to be able to evaluate this week where you're at with the information I'm going to give you. And then second to that, I want you to think about somebody in our church 
that you know that may be in this situation where you can call them this week, where you can go eat lunch with them this week, and you can be the vessel maybe that God's going to use to bring that person back into the body of Christ. So I've entitled this sermon this morning, The Remedy of Spiritual Amnesia. Spiritual Amnesia. So let's begin by defining terms. Spiritual amnesia is, well, let me give credit where credit's due. Most of this information is coming from my good friend, Dr. Nicholas Ellen, who preaches in Houston, uh, Houston, Texas, and he's given me permission to uh, use this material. So there you go. Credit where credit's due, and I'll take it from here. The definition of spiritual amnesia. If someone has spiritual amnesia, they're really a Christian, that's a key, key word, a Christian who has forgotten about his purifications from his former sins. And as a result, he lacks a godly perspective on the person of Christ, the provisions of Christ, and the progressive sanctification in Christ. Okay, so that's the definition. As we move in on that, I want to begin to make this really practical this morning. If we're going to provide a remedy for spiritual amnesia, which is basically what Peter describes as forgetting, forgetting who you are, and specifically forgetting about the person, provisions, and progressive sanctification in Christ, we're going to have to, number one, recognize the danger of spiritual amnesia. I don't have the board up this, this morning. I don't have the, the whiteboard. Get your Bibles out. Get them up. Who are the saints that have their Bibles? All right, I got you, I got you. You guys are getting better. I'm still working on the mission. Get them to lift up a Bible. But yes, this is a Bible right here. It's not electronic. It's real, right? It's got pages. I can feel it. I know what's on the left. I know what's on the right. Nothing pops up, right, and says, hey, look at this. Oh, that's cool. How did it know I was even looking at that? How did it know I was looking at shoes, size 13 on eBay? It knows. I don't know. But my Bible doesn't do that. It's just so I can just focus in on Scripture. That's, that's the idea, right? So this morning, you're going to need your Bible. Okay, if you have an electronic device, you're cool. You're all right. But where I want you to go this morning is Matthew chapter 26. Verse uh, 26. So 26, 26. And we're just going to read this to 29. There is one person in the Bible. I'm, I'm actually going to do a series on this, but I'm just starting with Peter. There's one person in the Bible who knew about what it meant to be, to have spiritual amnesia, and it was Peter. Peter was the guy, Okay. So let's try to understand Peter's world before the cross as he's meeting with Jesus in the institution of the Lord's Supper. It says in verse 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Peter's in the company of these disciples. Jesus, this is a very 
uh, strategic, very intimate time with the Lord. Jesus is preparing to die. Jesus is beginning to to show them the implications of his death by way of the Lord's Supper and the elements. And then in verse 30, you're going to see his warning to his disciples. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, (laughs) I always picture being there, but you will all fall away because you will all fall away Because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. That at this point in Peter's life, he's fired up for the Lord. And in his heart, at this moment, he's ready to die with Jesus. That's what he said. I will die with you. No matter what happens. Peter is a good example of someone who knew the truth, someone who was with Jesus the Christ, someone who was close to him, someone who was willing to jump in front of a bus for Jesus. But then, in verse 69, we have the fulfillment of the Lord's words. 2669, it says, Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you guys, this is not a Pharisee, right? This is not like someone to be afraid of. This is like a little Awana girl coming up to him, right? I just love the word of God. It's like, Peter is the stalwart of the church, you know? It's like, look, just so you know, Catholic Church, that they sent a little girl and she says, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. Okay, so what's the timing here? It hasn't even been 24 hours, right? This passion that Peter has, what what does he do with it? Here's an opportunity. And it's it's not like the high priest or anybody trying to put your head on a platter. This is a little girl. And he says, it says in verse 70 that he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean strike one verse 71 and when he went out to the entrance another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders this man was with Jesus of Nazareth right? this is like the girl at the club you know hey I saw you with the fellas the other night at the club You're with Jesus. He was in your crew. He says, I do not. I do. And he, again, he denied. And not only denied it, but he denied it with an oath. I just think of James. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But he he denied it with full, not not only just, hey, just trying to get, but with an oath of security, like a signet ring. 
And he says, I don't know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you were, certainly you too were one of them, for your ascent, your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately, what happens? The rooster crows. And Peter remembered, saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Here's a couple things I want to draw out from this passage. Peter was short-sighted and only saw what is near. Spiritual amnesia always has that at the forefront. As you're not seeing the bigger picture, you're not hearing the conversation that you had with Jesus even 24 hours before. Why? Because we're focused in on ourselves and and we're short-sighted. We're actually blind to that. Secondly, Peter lacked a godly perspective of life. He was not interpreting life situations through the words of Christ. So Peter doesn't have what we have as far as the scriptures in the New Testament, but Peter has the times when he's with Jesus the Christ, and Jesus on several occasions has told him what his mission and purpose is on earth. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus on three different occasions in the book of Mark says that I will die. I will be buried. I will rise again. He says it secondly with a little bit more detail. I will die. I will rise again on the third day. The third time, he flat out just says, hey, by the religious leaders, these hands, they're going to put me on a cross. I'm going to die. And Peter, recall, if he was recalling, if he was remembering this, he would remember the conversation where he called Jesus the son of the living God. In Mark chapter 8, And Jesus says to him that, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, for that was revealed to you from the Father. But then when Jesus talks about his death, burial, and resurrection, Peter says, Far be it to me, Lord, if you would suffer. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Moment in time. You have someone who is in tune with the Lord and his program and what he came to do, and then out of tune. This was, these were the lives of the disciples. And you know what? To be fair, that's our life too. That's our life too. So number three, Peter gave no serious thought to a godly interpretation of the things in the world. He was more concerned about what he was afraid of, and that was being caught, seeing his Lord, the consequences for Jesus Christ, ultimately going through that trial, being mocked, spit on, flogged. Peter knew that was ahead of him if he were to not deny Christ. So what he saw by way of avoiding became more imminent for him in the sense that I know the consequences that are there. I know where Jesus is right now, so I need to take care. I'm a self-centered thinker right now, and I'm driven and motivated by selfish ambition right here, right now, in the moment. 
right? And I'm not seeking the things that are from above. I'm actually seeking the things that are demonic, earthly, and unspiritual. He was aware of the consequences. And the things of this world outweighed the things of Jesus Christ. Number four, Peter forgot who he was in Jesus Christ. Jesus was one of the called out ones from Jesus himself. Jesus said, hey, follow me. And Peter followed him. A very, very, think about this. The the Lord and the creator of the entire universe and everyone in it chose 12 men to follow him. And Peter was one of them. Peter forgot who he was in Christ. Peter was not only a disciple, but he was the speaker, the spokesperson for the disciples. When Peter says, I will not deny you first, the other guys are saying, that sounds like a good idea. We won't either. Number four, number five, Peter was not living in practice to his position as a disciple. Peter had every opportunity to own up, to own up. The first servant girl that comes, you know, she's selling little cookies and says, hey, you were with Jesus yet? Buys a cookie and says, yes, I was with Jesus. Absolutely right. I'm going to die for him. Where did that passion go? It's gone. It's gone. Number six, Peter allowed the light of the world to dim his eyes to the calling, connection, and commitment of Jesus Christ, his Lord God and Savior. Now, before we move on, It's really, really important that you understand that this did not take God by surprise. It wasn't like Jesus is like, you know what? Jesus already knew this was going to happen before it happened. That's why he's God. And Jesus, in spite of that, he still lovingly warned his his, uh, servant, his disciple, Peter, and he says, hey, this is going to happen. And in spite of Peter's passion, he still stuck to the guns and said, because this is written... The Word of God, anything written in the Word of God is solid, call it done, it's going to happen 100%. This is not a 50-50 thing, oh God, you got 75%, right? You're pretty cool. No, it's 100%. Jesus knew that. But what I want you to do this week is I want you to look at this list because all these characteristics really describe the type of person that gets spiritual amnesia. And if you can begin one by one to even say, yeah, that's been happening with me, um, and begin to write about that. This is what's happening. Um, I have been short-sighted in the ear, and so on and so forth. But look at this list this week, because if we think that we're immune from spiritual amnesia, the apostle Peter was not immune from spiritual amnesia. Okay, now some of you guys will say, oh, he doesn't have the spirit yet. That's Acts chapter 2. And if he had the spirit, he he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. I mean, once you have the Spirit of God, you don't sin, right? Can I hang out with you for 24 hours? Can I talk to your spouse? I mean, real, just like no consequences whatsoever. Tell me what's been going on the last 24 hours. You guys know that's, that's not real in your own life. You, you know it's not. But here's what I think is going on. I think that God allowed... Peter to go through this so that he can grow through this. Peter went through this so that he can grow through it. And then not only that, he becomes the voice for the church, for the reminder of the warning 
of looking out, church, for the beware of the danger of spiritual amnesia. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So same Peter, okay? Same Peter. Now he's on the other side of the cross. Now he's risen from the dead. His Lord has risen from the dead. He's believed that. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's gone from disciple to apostle. He's got equal standing with other people who have been born again to the gospel. He's following the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's calling out grace to be multiplied to this church in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us in all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Verse 8. For it is by these qualities, for if these qualities are yours and are, are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, and this is where the concept of spiritual amnesia comes from. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never never fall. You know, and, and, and the, the reality here is these qualities are only obtained when you're walking by the Spirit. And when you're walking by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So P- Peter could say, when you're practicing these things and you're, qual- you're being controlled by the Spirit in these things, you will never fall. Isn't that beautiful? Second point I want to point out here is that these things are very much under your control if you've been born again. You can choose today, if you're in a spirit of spiritual amnesia, to start practicing these things. And you will not fall. Verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these things though you know them and are established in the truth that you you have i think it's right as long as i am in the body to stir you up by way of reminder since i know that putting off my body will be soon as our lord jesus christ made clear to me verse 15 and i will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things So Peter is warning Christians about the danger of spiritual amnesia. A blind, short-sighted Christian who has forgotten his purification from his former sins and lacks a godly perspective in the following areas. Number one, the personhood of Christ. 
the personhood of Christ. Since the Christian has not embraced his identity in Christ, he tends to tie his identity to other people, his own performance, positions of authority, or possessions he wants or has. This person has connected his identity to the temporal things of this world instead of the character of Jesus Christ. He does not see himself as Christ sees him. The Christian does not evaluate himself, his roles and his responsibilities according to God's perspective. This Christian has lost sight of the fact that it is he who no longer lives, but instead Christ lives in him. And the life that he now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God. He's lost that perspective. He's lost the, the lenses of seeing the personhood of Christ. This was Peter during that moment. This was Dirk in the season of his life as he was turning to everything but Jesus Christ. Number two, this person lacks a godly perspective in the provision of Christ. This Christian is blind to the implications of his union with Christ. As a result, he is dominated by indwelling sin, the world and the devil leading to instability in his life. He does not embrace the fact that he has been joined with Christ, nor does this Christian embrace that in his relationship with Christ, he has all he needs to live a proper, peaceful, and productive life. He does not understand that this kind of life would result in grace and peace being multiplied to him through Jesus Christ. Experiential knowledge of Christ and genuine Christ-like character and stability in his life. So not only has he lost sight of the person of Jesus Christ and his relationship to him, but also his provision and everything that he has in Christ. And this is the conversation of 2 Peter chapter 1, where, the, where Peter himself says, hey, look around at the world and everything in it. Now look back at the scriptures, because I'm telling you that the scriptures are where the answers are. The scriptures are how we interpret life. The scriptures have everything we need for life and godliness. Right here. As you stray and you look and you look away and the world attracts you and it entices you and it lures you, you look back to the scriptures and you stay aligned to your Lord. You stay aligned through worship, through knowing the person of Christ, knowing the provision in Christ. But that's not all. Don't lose, fat, don't lose sight of the progressive sanctification in Christ. Big word, but you guys just heard Andrew preach on that all the way through Romans chapter 6, verse 8. So get those sermons, <laughs> and you will, you will know what progressive sanctification is. Another word of saying is you're a disciple who is growing progressively, not overnight. You have not arrived until Jesus takes you home, but you're growing. This Christian may focus on past forgiveness of sin and future blessing in heaven, but he does not focus on the present pursuit of knowing Jesus Christ, becoming like Christ, and being useful to Christ. He lacks discernment of good and evil because he is lazy in his pursuit of truth and application thereof. The Christian does not understand that through his relationship and union with Christ, he has been given the command and the power to turn from sin in his thoughts, his words, his deeds, and walk in what is right in his thoughts, words, actions, and deeds. To know Christ intimately, become like Christ practically, and to be useful to Christ consistently. Let me tell you what Dr. Allen is telling us. There's come a time when someone has been born again to the living hope through the gospel. That was my friend Dirk. He, he had, something had happened in his heart that only God can do. He was fired up for Jesus. Um, but as he's living in between the reality of, of salvation and the not yet reality of summation or, or glorification... 
heaven, salvation, he's living in between this reality and he's lost sight of the fact that sometimes living in a world before glorification will involve us giving in to sin. And what happens a lot of the times is because we don't prepare people for that kind of discipleship is that when they begin to fail, they get very discouraged and sometimes even walk away. And what makes it even worse is when good-intentioned Christians say either, oh, you're just a carnal Christian on the one side, or you're not even a Christian on the other side. What we need to understand that the solution for this person is to help connect them, reconnect them to Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, help them to see the provisions that they have in Christ, and help them to see that they're living in a world where they are being perfected, not yet perfect. And that we need to prepare them for not a Cinderella story of the gospel of Jesus Christ where everybody wins on earth, but we need to prepare them for the reality that we live in a world where we have an evil one called Satan who seeks to devour and destroy Christians. And so there's never a time when we could put our guard down. There's never a time that says, hey, I got the ticket to heaven, I'm, I'm immune. No, you are not immune. There's never a time when you can say, I've been delivered from X, Y, or Z. The moment you say that, the moment the, 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 the God of this world goes like this. Guards down. He's been delivered. No. We're delivered and we keep on being delivered. And that, that involves us walking with the Lord. That involves us actually Walking around with our Bibles, getting in the Bibles, not straying from the Word of God, but walking according to the Word of God in everything that we do. And brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the biggest things that I see in the church today is that we have way too passive understanding of Christianity. Way too passive. We've focused so much on salvation, but we've done very little work on what's in between that as we await glorification. Church, can I tell you that where we're moving as a church, we just had a membership class this morning, where we're moving as a church, we are very serious about how you live life in between the already and not yet. And we want you to be able to hear Andrew as he preaches or anybody preaches from this pulpit, share the word of God and the way that they're sharing it, but then when you have problems throughout the week, you can say, you know what, I need to go talk to somebody. And you need to come to people that aren't going to turn you away to people who have a different worldview than what we have. You need to talk to people that believe that the only answer and solution to you in this problem is Jesus Christ and your relationship to him. You need to talk to people that realize the only way for you to grow and change is for you to learn how to walk in the spirit of God. Sometimes you don't need medication. Sometimes you need the Messiah. All the time you need the Messiah. Now, do I, am I against medication? Absolutely not. I am not. I work in the hospital, for goodness sakes. But I'm just saying, I think sometimes the thing that's happening in our heart by way of byproducts, in this Dirk's case, pornography, addictions, it, what it, what it, ha it happens subtle. It was subtle. And if we were a body of Christ that was operating like the body of Christ in the power of the Spirit, I think there would be more hope for people that are stuck in those types of realities. So if we are... Being, if we have spiritual amnesia, these three things are going to be at play. Secondly, if we don't turn to Christ during these times, if we don't look for God's provision during these times, if we don't understand progressive sanctification during these times, there's going to be some deceptive teachings that we need to repent of. And these could seek to fill the God replacement gaps. And I just wanted to give you guys just a few of them. This is taken from... Uh, 
Paul Tripp and Tim Lane and their book, How People Change. Some of you guys have gone through that book here as a Sunday school a few years back. But one of the things they pointed out that if we're not turning to God, we're turning to something, okay? One of the things that I always keep in mind and I always try to share with people is that you really have a worship disorder. That's what's going on. You're out of alignment with the Lord. You're not in communion with him. You're not in fellowship with him. And one of the key things that I see that when I talk to people that are stuck in cul-de-sacs where they're stuck and they're just asking for help out is all the things that Peter describes here by way of the spiritual disciplines and the things that are healthy as as being a Christian, almost 100% of the time, I haven't found one yet that's gotten away from all those things that are healthy. So we begin to turn to other things, and this is where I want to really talk about the Christian audience this morning, okay? Because we, our hearts are tricky. Our hearts are so tricky. Because on the one hand, we have desires that are good, but in a split second, that desire can become inordinate or less than what God wants it to be, and we turn to other things, and then it becomes bad in a split second. One of those things could be formalism. Number one, formalism. This is consistent participation in church meetings, ministries, and mission activities. Not bad, right? Not bad at all. Yet void of a transformed life from participating in these meetings, ministries, and mission activities because there is no genuine fellowship with Christ in these activities. You guys want to pray for your elders here? You need to pray that we're protected from this. That we just get so caught up in a program, that we're, we're driving this, you know, this looks cool, this ministry looks cool, and, and we're counseling people, we're in the trenches, and people are changing, because God's working in it through them, but we just, maybe we think that we're the formal ones that don't need it. So pray for us, for this, this trap. Second one's legalism. Legalism, this is living a life that, of rules and regulations, thinking one is right when God with God by keeping them yet void of a transformed life through them because there is no genuine fellowship with Christ. Trying to earn by works what can only be gained through grace and genuine fellowship with Jesus Christ. There are some in here today that still think that their, their works are going to merit them heaven. There are some people here today, as they've heard Andrew go through uh, Romans chapter 3, where it says there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands God. All have turned away. You think that, yeah, that's, that may be true for some, but not for me. I'm, I'm a good person. Legalism. There are some in here that think if they, th- they, think they, can, they can keep their own rules. I see this in the trenches when you're dealing with forgiveness. The people begin to make their own rules. <laughs> I'm like, well, just here's your homework this week. Show me in here where it's at so I can look at it. And they come back each week. Well, I haven't found it yet. Can you help me? I can't help you because it's not there. You're making a rule that is not there. So you've created a standard that's equal to or higher than God's. So you know what that's called? Pride. Whoa, this isn't for me. You're supposed to be going after him. You're here right now. We need to be careful of legalism. We think that if we dress a certain way, we act a certain way, or, you know, the thing that drives me crazy about my age group is, like, we think it's cool to have uh, beards, 
right, and smoke cigars and go do Bible studies at uh, pubs. Well, if everybody's doing that, you may be the young, reformed, and the restless, but the reality is you just created another legalistic aspect of everybody does what we do or they're not spiritual. So be on guard for that. Number three, mysticism. Constantly hunting for a spiritual high, a dynamic encounter with God. Reducing Christianity to the pursuit of dynamic, emotional, and spiritual experiences instead of the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Yet void of a transformed life through these experiences because there is no genuine fellowship with Christ in these experiences. These are the, like uh, Mbabwe, I think that's his name, Mbabwe, it's like a cool African name, but he's an African pastor that's, that's taught at the Shepherd's Conference, and he's, he says that one of the things he's seen in Africa is this idea, this fascination with the event. So the event may, may be, hey, we're having a healing service, go up to the mountain, go up to the mountain where the, the man of God is up there, the man of God, go to him, and he will he- heal you. So you're, you're you know, I, my, I got cancer, I've got this whatever, I need to go up there and I see, need to see the man of God. And they go up there and all this stuff is going on and, you know, there's people that are healed and you come back into church Sunday morning and you see the man of God. And he says, what got me was when I saw that the man of God had three wives in the church. And all of them were pregnant. You guys, we need to be careful of putting our trust in a man. And here's where it happens. When we subtly move away from the word of God and we begin to trust man. The man can only be trusted if he's giving you the word of God. Bible open. Honestly, if you're a man of God and you don't have the Bible open, shut up. She's like, you're going to get it. I know. That's it. I'm just a visiting elder here, you know. That was unkind. Please forgive me mysticism man do we see this in our area don't we i can i can go go crazy on this one but i'm not going to because you guys just need to go outside and look around and that's what you see mysticism a lot of the times but here's the thing with mysticism all these things not just picking on mysticism because i think we all have different areas where these are good things but they can be bad things all of them if you haven't focused in on the idea that we're not consistently walking in a relationship with jesus christ because we're about something else, okay? Fourth, this one hits home for me, Biblicism, a pursuit of a high knowledge of the Bible, become a theological expert, yet void of a transformed life because there is no seeking to know Jesus Christ, to become like Christ, and to be useful to Christ through the pursuit of a high knowledge of the Bible. And you guys, we, historically, I think we need to watch out for this one as a church, Biblicism. So here's how, here's how you keep it in balance. Always seek to, number one, pay attention to yourself. Always. When you hear a sermon, don't be thinking about, oh, so-and-so can really be using this right now, right? No, no, me first. Me first. And you look to grow, and you come here not for your agenda of, man, I'm going to bring this knucklehead to church, and they're going to sit right next to me. I'm sorry if you're one of those people. Like, if you had to go through that today. But instead... I'm, gonna, I'm here because I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for the word of God and I want to be transformed. I want to I be renewed in my mind. I want to learn how to walk more in the spirit today. And you know why I say focus on yourself? Because when you get the opportunity, when other people come into your life, what's going to flow out of you? It's what's already in you. 
That's more natural, and people can see plastic Christianity from a mile away. So don't be a plastic Christian. Number five, socialism. Connecting with others in the church for genuine fellowship, acceptance, respect, and position. Not bad, but here's where it's bad. It's void of a transformed life in these connections because they were reduced to an avenue for self-fulfillment instead of being elevated to an avenue for mutual sanctification in Jesus Christ. What's the key point in all of this? This is a quote from uh, Jim Berg. Saving grace does not produce a license to live any way we want and to bank on the salvation from Christ as security that we are still going to heaven. Saving grace teaches us to deny ourselves the worldliness that corrupts us so that we may pursue the godliness that changes us into the image of Jesus Christ. If you are claiming salvation but living like those who do not belong to Christ, either you are suffering from spiritual amnesia or spiritual deception, which we did not talk about this morning. If you want to see a good example of spiritual deception, that's Judas. He's, he follows that. Peter and Judas are right there with each other in, in the passages that we looked at. But meaning, either you have forgotten that you have been saved to know Christ, to become like Christ, and to be useful to Christ, or you really are not a Christian, but have been deceived in the thinking you are. Experiencing the saving grace of God should lead us to consistency in denying self and a stable God-ordered life. May you examine yourself and ask God for wisdom to discern between spiritual amnesia, spiritual deception, So let's make the connection. Here's the thing. I don't know where you're at this morning spiritually. I don't know what your condition is. I don't know the things that are going on in your own life. I don't want to undermine those things. The difficulties that come from circumstances, the difficulties that come from your predicaments, the, the, the things that come have to do with your past. Whatever the situation is this morning, Jesus would say to you that he's a great and sympathetic high priest and that you can come to him and he knows your sorrow and he knows your grief and he is always just a prayer away from you this morning. Have you come to a place in your relationship with Christ where you have spiritual amnesia? Have you forgotten? Have you gotten away from the things that you know are healthy? Well, let me just say this. You're not alone. You're not alone. This is part of trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in a fallen world. And it's easy to get away from the things that we know are healthy. And this is the beautiful thing about the church when it's operating the way that God would have us operate. Is that it's, we talked about accountability this morning. But it's not accountability in the sense of, I'm watching you. Just know that. I've got a little picture right here. See me? Put this up next to your internet. I'm always watching you. Now, you guys, that's superficial change. That's outward change. It needs to come from a motivation that wants to be controlled by the love of Christ, that wants to be controlled and make it their, their aim to please Christ. And sometimes, may I say, we may need a little bit of the fear of God in our lives as well. We recognize that there will come a day when we will stand before this risen one named Christ, and we will look him in the eye, and we'll have to give an account for the things that we've done in the body. Those are the right motivations for change. If you've gotten away from that this morning, 
I'd really, this, that's why, you know, why, why are his notes so long? You know what? I'm a, I'm a doctoral student. I'm sorry about that. I've got to kind of tone it down a little bit as I come here. I understand that. But the reason I give you notes is so that you can have it for a resource, okay? Um, have you turned to other God replacements? As I was reading that list, where are you at this morning? Only you know that, right? Recognize the good in all of those replacements, but recognize that those things devoid of a relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding the person of Christ, the provision of Christ, and the progressive sanctification in Christ, that's where it can be danger, dangerous. So here's what I would say. Go back over the sermon notes this week. Implement a game plan for yourself. How can you apply what Peter learned for himself and taught the church? Remember the remedy for spiritual amnesia. Amnesia. Let me stir you up by way of reminder. Those are Peter's words. Know the definition of spiritual amnesia. What is it? Recognize the danger of spiritual amnesia. Remember the disciple Peter's counsel about spiritual amnesia and repent of deceptive teachings that seek to fill the gaps with God replacements. And next, run to Jesus and run to him with all your heart and walk in the spirit. Secondly, here's a second challenge. Think about the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 to 14. Who do you know in our congregation this morning? Who do you know that might be struggling with spiritual amnesia? Will you commit that person to prayer? Further, will you call the person this week and encourage them? Get together and talk about what we talked about this morning. And you do that, why? Because you genuinely care and you love that person. And you know that the heartbeat of Jesus Christ is restoration. And the parable of the, the 99, one went astray, just one. So who are those people that we know within our congregation? You guys, this is a task that the elders cannot do alone. We cannot. There's no way to keep track of everybody in this congregation. That's why we ask the congregation to be a part of the one another ministry as well. Number three and lastly, are you sure about your salvation this morning? I'm not positive that if this was a mock uh, counseling session with my friend Dirk, I'm not positive that if I were to meet with him, if that he was genuinely a Christian. But let me tell you, I probably wouldn't be the one to tell him that, but First John would tell him. And I don't want to be the one pointing a finger in his face, but you know what? The Holy Spirit judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and he's able to get down deep. So may I say this just by way of, if, if you think that you know Christ and you realize this morning, I'm not so sure if I do, then we need to have a conversation. And it's not a conversation of pointing fingers, it's a conversation of opening up the word to see where you're at spiritually. Come to the book, come to the word of God and judge for yourself whether you're a Christian. If you came in here this morning and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here, uh, let me tell you this morning, you're here to connect with Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, why should I care about Jesus, you may say? Because Jesus made you. He loves you. That he made you to worship. But your whole entire life you've been worshiping something else. And that's why you're frustrated. That may be one of the reasons why you're here this morning. Is you're, you're looking for something that's in your heart. And you're trying to find it. Romans chapter 2 verse 15 says that God has put the law on your heart. The Bible also tells us that, that God through illumination, through uh, him opening up our eyes, 
that he has actually drawn you to himself this morning. So here's what he'd want you to know. You're in trouble. He loves you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble because you've been living life your own way without God. Rather than worshiping what may be known about God because God has made it plain to you, you've rejected that and you've suppressed that and you've turned to other things. Can I tell you that that's what I did for 22 years of my life? You're not alone. You're in trouble because not only are you in rebellion against God, but you're in trouble because there will come a day when God, being perfectly just, perfectly right, perfectly fair, perfectly holy, will call a day when he deals with sin. The great dilemma is there is a judgment that comes once and for all for you, and you will stand before God. I don't even think you'll be standing, honestly. You won't be able to make a case at all. Where's the lifeline? Where's the hope? That because of his love, his great love for you, God sent his son into the world to die for your sins. I said your sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your place. He took the sins upon himself that you deserved. He took the punishment from the Father on himself for you. The Bible says things like this, that he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might know the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God equals Jesus. Jesus is perfect. We are not. You can have Christ's perfection this morning. Do you want it? Well, that's, that's a telltale of a sign. That's 2,000 years ago plus. Has that really happened? Hear me out. Jesus is alive today. He who believes in the Son has life, present tense, today. You can have it right here, right now. But he or she who rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on you. Jesus steps into your place. He's given you a lifeline. He's, he's going to cause you to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Take it this morning. What are you waiting for? That's the choice that you have this morning. If you want to do that this morning, I'm convinced 100% that that's God working in your heart. Talk to me. Talk to the elders. Talk to the prayer warriors that are up here. Talk to others, and we will connect you with this person called Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, this is not a game. This is the real deal. He will change your life 100%. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this teaching on spiritual amnesia. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to go through things so that we can grow through things. And Lord, may we be most concerned about restoration. Lord, help us to put our fingers away. Lord, help us to focus in on ourselves. And, and if we go towards others, let it be for the purpose of trying to help them. Be restored to you. Number one, restored to your church. Lord, help us to know what it, more what it means to be these types of Christians in this place called Cross Point. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.